What is grace? Grace is community. Grace is passion. Grace is for everyone. Today we start a new series in this Advent season. If you were here last week, you heard me say that it was the last Sunday of the church year. So today actually marks a brand new start. And the first thing we do in a brand new year is look at a scripture that may make you scratch your heads. The passage is in the Gospel of Mark and is known as the coming of the Son of Man. It is the second coming of Jesus Christ. That has always struck me as such a bizarre thing for the church uh, to do throughout its history. We start with the apocalypse, the beginning of the end of the world. What is wrong with the church that we can't just celebrate and have a party like everybody else at New Year's? Instead, we read what could be the gloomiest, most disturbing passage in all of Scripture. We hit December and the church is seemingly devoid of all Christmas magic. Yet, maybe there is more here than meets the eyes. Um, Maybe there is hope even in the end of the whole world. Let's hear our scripture from Eric uh, as Jesus, just before this, promises destruction of the Jewish temple, persecution for believers, and a sign so perverse it will mark suffering so bad that there is no equal to it in all of human history. This is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 13, verses 24 through 37. Hear now the word of the Lord. But in those days after that suffering, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will be falling from heaven, and the powers in the heavens will be shaken. Then they will see the Son of the Man coming in the clouds with great power and glory, and he will send out the angels and gather his elect from the four winds and the ends of the earth to the ends of heaven. From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near and at the very gates. Truly, I tell you, this generation will not pass away until all these things have taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But about that day or hour, no one knows, neither the angels in heaven, nor the Son, nor the Father. Beware, keep alert. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his slaves in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to be on the watch. Therefore, keep awake, for you do not know when the master of the house will come, in the evening, or at midnight, or to Krakow, or at dawn, or else he may find you asleep when he comes suddenly. And what I say to you, I say to all, Keep awake. And from Isaiah 64, verses 6 and 8, we have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a filthy cloth. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, take us away. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, and you are our potter. We are all the work of your hand. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, make us an inclusive community passionately following Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts that we may be ready for your apocalypse. 
It's not easy, Lord, but do a new thing in our hard hearts today. Make us ready for you. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, December is here, and it feels like Christmas is right around the corner. I know there's a song that says it's the most wonderful time of the year, but sometimes Christmas isn't as magical as we may want it to be. Sometimes Christmas can be filled with problems. Uh, It's funny, but when I think back to the different Christmases that I've had over the years, what comes to mind for me are not lovely, idyllic moments around the Christmas tree opening gifts. It's all the things that went wrong on Christmas. When I was little, the Christmas that stands out to me is the one time we went to my grandfather's farm in upstate New York for Christmas. People flew in from all over the country, and for some reason, my grandfather invited my grandmother, whom he had been divorced from for over 20 years. It wasn't just that either. She brought her new husband. Uh, Talk about awkward family moments. I don't know how any of us survived it. Uh, The only respite was when my uncle suggested that we go sledding and the grandparents stayed behind. Uh, The hill was a pretty big one and ended at the country road coming down to my grandfather's farm. My uncle Paul told us kids that if he told us to eject, we had to roll off the sled so we wouldn't be on it when it went into the street. Uh, The first few times down the hill weren't that great. The snow was too thick and there were too many kids on the sled, but eventually... Heading down, we really took off. Uh, We were going downhill at full speed, and my uncle starts shouting, eject, eject. So we jump off the sled, and just as we do, it hits the ditch before the road, goes flying up across the road, and lands in the cow patch on the other side of some barbed wire fence. So that was the end of our sledding adventure that day. Other Christmases devoid of magic include the year we went to Tennessee for Christmas. Uh, That was memorable because we couldn't get home due to a snowstorm that dumped several feet of snow. When we finally did make it home, the snow in our driveway was higher than our minivan. It took forever just to dig out one tiny patch to park the car in the driveway. And then I think of my first Christmas with a new baby. My wife Emily and I agreed to drive out to visit with my mother-in-law on Christmas Day. What I didn't realize is that there was a particular time she wanted us to be there, and I would obviously be working late on Christmas Eve. I got home well past midnight the night of Christmas and was up at 5 a.m. to drive out to Pennsylvania so Grandma could see her new grandson on Christmas Day. By the end of that trip, I was complaining so bad about it that it was the worst Christmas ever, swearing up and down that I would never, ever do that again. If I was working the night of Christmas Eve, and I always work the night of Christmas Eve, I would have Christmas at home, period. So far, I have kept that promise. Now, I know for some, these complaints from my past Christmases are small potatoes. Many, many, uh, my problems can be pretty minor in light of the struggles and hardships of others. Some people won't have any presents to give to their friends and family this year because they have so little. There is nothing to give. Others will struggle to even have the basics of food and shelter on Christmas. Just today alone, on average, about 20,000 children will die because they won't have those basic needs met. When you start thinking in those terms of how truly terrible the world can be for some people, even on Christmas, suddenly the apocalypse starts to make sense. 
For people in a situation like that, the end of everything we know isn't such a bad idea. There's a man who was standing on the sidewalk with the manager of a storefront ministry working with the homeless. She had been there for over two decades, and the man asked her, how can you keep up such a demanding job for so long? She waved her hand across the landscape of the ruined city and said, when I read the scriptures, it reminds me that all of this is temporary. God refuses to let what we've made of this city be eternal. That's bad news for the people who own those buildings and run the city, but good news for the folks who sleep on the streets. That's a pretty powerful idea, isn't it? That God is working on a monumental, fundamental shift in how the world works. That might be a little scary to those of us that are doing okay. We have what we need. We have food and clothes and a roof over our heads. We have money, even if we may always feel like we never have enough, especially as we buy presents for people. For the world to change on us may not seem like such a good idea. Yet that is exactly the promise we have at the start of Advent. Everything will be gone. This world will be torn to shreds. You get that sense from the scripture we read today. I mentioned just before it is Jesus saying the Jewish temple will be destroyed. For many, this, is, this was the pinnacle of the worst thing that could ever happen in the whole world. The temple of God, the place where God himself was considered to be living, would be torn down. This prophecy would be fulfilled just a few decades later. The Roman Empire surrounded the city and an awful humanitarian crisis ensued. They spent five months cutting off people from going in or coming out of the city. The reports we have of it were that the war led to murder, famine, and even cannibalism. Then the army completely destroyed the city along with almost all of the temple of God. The only thing left standing at the end was a single wall that today we call the Wailing Wall. People still go there in near total silence and offer prayer, sometimes inserting a a written prayer into the cracks in the wall. These are people who know the unbearable pain that was experienced there nearly 2,000 years ago, and they go to mourn and cry there themselves. They are people who long for an apocalypse, that the world as we know it would come to an end. But thankfully, the story doesn't end there. Jesus says that after all the suffering and when things seem at their absolute worst, with the sun darkened, the stars falling out of the sky, that's when the powers in heaven will shake and the Son of Man will come out of the sky. Jesus is coming for his elect and it's going to change everything. Now, some folks make a big deal out of that word, God's elect. The word just means chosen, though. And who does God choose? God chooses all those who choose him. If you choose to serve God this day, you are among the elect. God is coming back for you. But this isn't just a rescue mission for God. God isn't coming back so he can save some of us and abandon the rest of the world. No, when Jesus comes, it is this huge, enormous, enormous earth-shattering plan to bring the whole old order to an end. Every awful thing people experience will be over and done with forever. 
There's another part of the scripture that has the same story of the apocalypse, but it includes this description of a man defending his home from a thief in the night trying to steal his valuables. Sort of a strange twist, but the point of the story is that Jesus is that thief in the night. It's not a warm, cuddly description of Jesus, but the warning is to be ready. God is coming for the elect like a thief, so be ready. Live your life valuing what God values because everything else will be stripped away in the end. My favorite preacher is a man named Fred Craddock. He once told the story of a young pastor who had reluctantly gone to the hospital to visit a member of his church that was gravely ill. As he entered the room, he could hear her gasping for breath. He didn't want to stay long, so he said, Why don't we pray? What do you want me to pray for? And the woman wheezes, that I'll be healed, of course. So he sighs and then prays, Lord, if it be your will, please heal this woman. But if not, be with her and help her to accept her situation, whatever may come of it, etc., etc. Amen. As he ends his prayer, the woman's eyes open up. She lifts her head and then sits up. She throws her feet over the side of the bed and says, I think I'm healed. Yes, I feel strong. I'm healed. She trots down to the nurse's station, repeating the good news, and the pastor goes without a word. As he leaves the hospital, he gets into his car, and he looks up to heaven and shouts, Don't you ever do that to me again! God, doing God's thing, can be very disturbing to us. It may not sound good at all for this world to be changed, but it really is good news that all of this is coming to an end, and there is even more good news coming, too. At first, it might seem confusing. We read the scripture about Jesus' return, and we think, that sounds like it's going to happen right away. We even hear it will happen during this generation, and that seems clear. God was supposed to come back a long time ago. During those people's lives, what happened? Well, for one, this generation could mean this race and be referring to Jewish people. It could also mean the church and be understood as Jesus promising to sustain the church until Jesus' return. But whatever it means, we wonder what's taking God so long? Why doesn't God show up already and fix this ridiculous, broken world? And there is the good news. God isn't just bringing the bad to an end. He is doing it in his own time. He is patiently waiting for us. He is waiting for us to turn away from the things that destroy us, from the things that suck the life out of us. God wants us to repent and turn in a new direction so that we might work toward the things that dramatically improve this world. We can so easily get caught up in the drama of this world. Whatever work you do or people you interact with, there are probably folks you describe as those people and may think that they are so stupid and rotten and wrong. But God is sitting there patiently waiting for us to turn to realize this isn't about them. It's about you and me. Mark 13 reminds us on repeat to watch out, to stay alert. We have to always be ready for God to do his thing. Let's end with this. 
Will Willimon is a bishop in the United Methodist Church. He once served a dwindling inner-city congregation. They'd once been a lively young church in a new neighborhood on the edge of town, but now they were older, smaller, struggling to stay alive. Many members commuted from other parts of the city, and it didn't look like the church had much of a future. During a Bible study one night, a member said, It's sad that we live in a time when so many young parents have babies, are starting families, but have no other family nearby. They're stuck in these young adult apartments with other people their age, and everyone else knows just as little as they do about raising babies. There are no adoring grandparents around. Willimon says, The Holy Spirit must have shown up that night because before the end of the evening, the people had devised their own North Side Baby Welcome Group. They picked the most stereotypical grandparents from the church and commissioned them to visit every single baby born in their community. They checked in at the local hospital to get a list, and after about a week, the baby visitors would show up and ask, Can we see our new neighbor? They'd give the family a children's storybook Bible, a pamphlet on baby care, disposable diapers, and say, our church is right down the street. Children are a top priority for us. When you visit, you'll find our talented caregivers uh, there to greet you. We have a, a parents' morning out program. The first two visits are free, and we want you to know that you don't have to parent alone. We are here to help. And you know what happened? For the first time in a decade, that church grew. God took the baby welcome program and made it a success for evangelism. But what the bishop remembers best is the person who said, you know, this church has never really had a mission. We never really connected to our neighborhood. We built these buildings and the Sunday school mostly for ourselves and our own children. Now, God has given us a purpose. We have a mission to our community, but it took us three decades to discover it. I'm so glad that the Lord gave us the time to figure it out. And that's exactly what's happening here and now. We may not like the idea of being stirred up from what we were, from how we've always done things or felt about other people, but God is calling each and every one of us to something new to something cataclysmically different from how the world was before. But thank God he has delayed that new world. God has given each of us one more day to turn the corner, to wake up, to get right with our brothers and sisters. Let today be the day that you finally find your purpose, not in things working out in the way you want them to, but in recklessly pursuing the things God has for us. Give it all away. Abandon the broken views of this world and embrace a God who tells us to stay alert, be on the lookout. Like a thief in the night, one day he will make all things new. Amen. Amen. For everything happening at Grace, check out our website at gumc.org.